0: Where can you get honest running shoe reviews? Up until now, probably nowhere. The Let's Run.com shoe review site is here, and it's amazing. The best runners on the planet have reviewed their shoes, and this is like going to become the Yelp of shoes. Go to Let's Run.com slash shoes today to check it out. Got a lot of data science here. Did you know that this year's version of the Nike Pegasus, people don't like it nearly as much as last year's. Where else are you going to hear that? All the running publications are... Brown nosing the shoe company so much, you don't get honest feedback. You do at theletsrun.com/shoes, or go to betterrunningshoes.com.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Let'sRun.com Track Talk podcast. The 2023 professional track and field season is in the books after an incredible Diamond League final at the Prefontaine Classic. We had two world records on Sunday. We had American records, the 800 mile, 3000 shot put. So much action to break down. Jakob Ingebrigtsen, put on a show with wins in the mile and 3,000 meters. I think Mo is back, but she never really left. So is Grant Fisher, and Yara Nagus is a 343 miler. We're gonna break down everything from Prefontaine. Rojo has some hot takes, loaded and ready to go. I can't wait to hear them. Right, so I'm back in Boston. It was a wonderful weekend in Eugene. I saw some Let's Run Supporters Club members had some beers, taught some track. That was lovely. Really terrific two-day track meet. I mean, there are some people who are saying, oh, we need to make the world shorter. You know, if we pack it in two days like this, it's amazing. I don't know. I guess we can break that down, but I, I had a lot of fun. I'm so glad I was there. I saw an American Run 343, which I didn't think I would ever see in my life. That was awesome. So thank you pree thank you God for being a thank you yard and Goose thank you Grump Fisher. thank you a Thing Mo for showing up. really terrific. I'm riding the high. How about you guys Robert Johnson, Weldon Johnson joining me, Jonathan Golt. are you guys as excited as I am, or do you have you know post track fatigue at this point?
2: I'm excited, John. I had post world fatigue, and pre made me forget that a fabulous track meet. It's made me reassess what athletes can do at the end of the season. And there is no fatigue. The Berlin Marathon is this weekend. I think it's the BMW Berlin Marathon. Thank you, BMW, whoever sponsors the thing. We got Elie Kipchoge running. Scott Fabel, who you talked to today, is running. So we're just going to roll right into the fall marathon season.
1: Grant Fisher is also going to be there as a pacemaker. Well, then, if you're running in the... 8 to 9 minute per mile group and you were part of this Nike giveaway or whatever, Grant Fisher is going to be leading you out. So, I thought it was really funny he was saying, I've never, I couldn't remember the last time I ran 8, 9 minute pace. He doesn't think he's going to be good at it because he's not used to running that slow, but apparently that's one of the perks. If you signed up for some package, you get a Nike professional to pace you for 6 miles, so he'll be in Berlin too.
2: It's interesting, John. I didn't know that. My wife and I are departing for Italy for a week-long vacation. Trying to run for Grant for a few miles. Berlin Marathon. I don't think my wife's going to let me swing by the Berlin Marathon. And also Adidas is the still the official sponsor of the Berlin
1: Marathon. Robert, it's unlike you to not have chimed in by this point in the podcast. Do you have some stuff you want to talk about? How are you doing today?
0: Doing amazing, John. Maybe a little too amazing. Another week, another week closer to my $16,000 payout when my Orioles were officially going to the playoffs and my Ravens become world champions this year. But I got a little carried away last night. God, watching the game alone. My, I should have been alternating alcoholic and unalcoholic beverages. So IPAs can, put you, can really knock you out if... You drink quite a few of them.
1: I, I know, Robert. I was there in Austin for your uh, IPA-fueled <laughs> ramblings off the NCAAs. So I, I've seen it firsthand.
0: I didn't drink more than I normally do, but I've been drinking really light beer. And for some reason, last night, all I had was IPAs. Oh, God. Anyways, it was an amazing track meet this weekend in Eugene. And I'm glad you were thrilled to be there, John. You're the hardest-working journalist in track and field. Actually, you might be the only journalist left in track and field, but you are the hardest-working, flying all over. To be honest, I was thrilled not to be in Eugene. I've been to so many track meets there. I just – and it's so hard to get to. So we can talk about the attendance and everything, but the actual performances on the meet, I, you know yeah. – I I think Weldon nailed it. Like I think it showed to us like Josh curve was allegedly too tired to to compete in this meet, but this excuse of, Oh, I'm exhausted after worlds. I think it's been disproven. Like physiologically, when you peak, you don't peak on a certain day, your fitness carries over for a number of weeks and the performances were amazing in this meet. So
1: It, it is crazy Robert, because you look at the times, let's look at the mid distance times and the distance times. Women's 800, 154, world leader. Men's 800, 142, world leader. Men's mile, 343, world leader. Women's 1500, 350, not a world leader, but one of the fastest times ever. Men's 3000, 723, world leader, one of the fastest times ever. Women's 5000, 14 flat, world record. Then the steeplechase, okay, the men's was a little on the slow side, but women's 850, second fastest time ever. Basically, every distance event, we saw either historically fast times or world leaders, and it came in the middle of September, which I wasn't expecting going into this meet.
0: Correct. I mean, I'm working on the week that was, and I'm only going to briefly mention pre. I'm mainly going to focus on, and I can ask you guys this, you know, what are the biggest storylines of the year? What will we remember in 10 years from now, about? the 2023 track season. So maybe we can talk about that later on the show, but I, I I did mention pre and, and and about how amazing, you know, eight eight of the nine men's running events were run, were won by someone who ran at least a seasonal best time with six of them, eight being world leading times, including four meet records, you know, so.
1: Well, Robert, yeah, we'll talk about those season long storylines in a minute. I want to just talk about sort of the biggest things coming out of pre and, Look, we talk about him all the time, but it's for good reason. Jakob Ingebrigtsen was incredible. 343 in the mile. He did the hard work once Sawinski stopped, stepped off at about 900 meters. He dragged Yardin to a 343. Those are only the third and fourth 343s we've ever seen. The last ones were back in 1999. Elgar and Yen in that famous race in Rome. And then a day later, he comes out. And does something similar. I'm wondering, I'm like, oh, is he just going to back off and run for the win? And he talked about it in the mix zone afterwards. He's like, I could have done that. I got the quote. Can you give us the quote when he was talking about his approach to this 3,000 meter race?
0: He said he woke up, went for a jog, shakeout jog, 6 a.m. Felt really good. But then when the race started, this is what he had to say.
1: Of course, after a couple of laps, I didn't feel... uh, extremely good but uh
2: so i could have been you know easier on myself and probably just laid back and just try to win but that's not my way of racing
1: yeah it's not the, his way of racing he wants to push the pace he wants to run fast times and he wants to get the best out of himself and most people after running a 343 mile in years past you would think they might be tired they might not be able to get their best Yako goes out and runs the fastest 3000, the third fastest 3000 meter time we've ever seen. Uh, he c- comes home in 56 flat for his last 400, roughly, and beats out Yomif Kajelcha in a classic. They were separated by one hundredth of a second. And I'm looking at this, Robert. He ran the third fastest mile in history, and 24 hours ran the third fastest 3000 in history. I know we have super shoes; they help recovery. It's a different era, but this has to be one of the most impressive distance performances I've ever seen. Like, wh- where do you think this ranks historically? Am, are we making too much of it? Are the times inflated, or is it, I I'm struggling to comprehend someone who could run three forty three and seven twenty three within twenty four hours?
2: Yes, you're making too much of it, John. He beat by one hundredth of a second, Yomif Kajelcha, a guy who didn't even medal at the World Championships. Now, granted, Yomif was hacked off because there wasn't a 5K pre, and I think he might have been running low 1230s. But the fact all of these dudes are running unprecedented times means we shouldn't get so excited about the times. But it's human nature to do it, but the shoes make it a different era. So,
0: we don't need to get in the shoe debate today, but people can recover He's in the supreme fitness. So it's like, as I said about the Worlds to, to, to Diamond League Final, you don't lose that fitness. You don't lose your fitness one day. You might be a little bit tired. It is worth noting that on the message board, uh, a poster from Norway said, he, Jakob just said on, on Norwegian TV that he was asked, if it wasn't for the race yesterday, would you have set the world record in the 3,000 today? And he answered, yes, I would have. So he, he admitted that it took something out of him. But look, big picture-wise, what's the name of this meet? The Prefontaine Classic. I, I guess... I was alive when Pree was alive. When did Pree die, John? Was I even alive? No, I wasn't even alive.
1: 1975, I believe.
0: Well, I'm not sure. Actually, I don't want to reveal my age. It's a private thing. I certainly don't remember anything about Pre Fontaine's life if I was alive back then. But we have a whole myth, a whole meat based on this guy. I was actually thinking, what well, if Pre was alive now, he would be in his 60s or 70s. Like, what would, his, what would he be like? like? I almost feel like his legacy is bigger because he did die at an early age. Like, what if he goes his whole career and never medals? You know? But, anyways, th- that's, that's a sidetrack thing here. We have a whole meet dedicated for Pre. Pre was a, an icon, a hero. Why? He pushed the damn pace. We have a modern day Pre Fontaine. His name is Jacob Bingenbritzen. This guy races all the time. He, he does all the, he can do all the distance. All, all, he, his range is incredible. Like, you know, Pre, Pre had the American records at, at a number of distances. And this guy just, the gift, he, he's got the gift and he, he gives it his all. 100% of the time. Like, I love the fact that he's got an MO like, this is the way I race. I go all out. I make the pace hot. Now, some can say, oh, he doesn't have the kick. He has to do that. Fine. But the dude is just sick and amazing. But what's crazy is, as, as amazing as this weekend was, you guys said it on, on, on your, on your, bonus podcast on, on Saturday night like what are we talking about he uh, we're talking about how he's vulnerable in 2024 like it's a hard way to win from the front he doesn't have great speed in the, in the 800 so that makes it tough in the mile and then this 3000 actually was fascinating to me like I'm, assu- I'm assuming I, I guess he says he would have run you know four seconds faster if he hadn't been tired from the day before but I would think he would kill in the flat out 3000 barely beats him by 100 for a second. So it's just going to be a great next year, like just debating this guy, talking about this guy. I, I have a man crush. I, I'm really just – the next t shirt's going to be made in his honor. Well, don't sue me, Jakob. But supporters club member texted me, said – Ross McGowan said, who's going to make this shirt that says, I am the Pacer? I think I am the pacer, maybe a little Norwegian flag underneath it blowing in the wind.
1: I think that's the line, Robert. He does have a lot of memorable ones, but his response to you off to Silesia, and I am the pacemaker, and he, he just he totally embraced that role. It was funny if you listen to the to our supporters club podcast on Friday after the press conference. MetsRun dot com slash subscribe to join the supporters club. He's just fully into that. He he's embrace the pacing. He's like, I'm going to go out. I'll pace the mile. I'll come back on Sunday. I'll pace the 3000. He tells Yard Negus, if you want to run sub 346, just stick with me. That's exactly what happened. Yard stuck right on him and he took him to a 343. I I love it. And he takes that approach and he very often wins. On the sub. you know, he only lost one race this year. It was the world championship final. That was another comment of his that I thought was interesting. He was asked, after the race, did you accomplish most of what you wanted to accomplish in 2023? And he took a couple seconds to pause. Jakob's very thoughtful in the mix zone. And he said, no. And then the follow-up was, well, you know, outside of the silver medal in the 1500 worlds, what didn't you accomplish? He's like, that's it. That was the biggest race of the year for him. He runs all these races. He likes getting records. He likes running times, but that was the most important race of the year. He cares about the 1500 more than the 5000. He didn't win it. So, I uh, you know, he's had such an amazing year. I'm writing a story about his season and some of his other comments he confirmed. He wants every world record between the 1500 and the marathon, including the steeple. But he he's his 2023 season was one for the ages in terms of his times that he was running, setting these world records. We haven't seen someone be consistently this good from start to finish. I think maybe since... Bekele in 04 or El Garouge in 2002 uh, for, for a middle distance runner. So, Robert, should we talk about the future with Jakob? Because we always seem to. Can you pull up that line we, ha- we had about the world records and what he wants to accomplish moving forward?
0: Yeah, a reporter asked him, have you ever thought about like how fast you can run in, in the marathon and what your mindset would be?
1: I don't really enjoy uh, you know talking about what could be yeah, yeah. Uh, because it's it's easier to just do it so I think time will tell how fast I can run the marathon but uh, I will definitely give it a go and uh, if some people can do something I believe I can do it better That's just just uh, my way of thinking and my my way of staying motivated but
2: uh, yeah. would your goal to be the first person to run under two hours without the kind of Assistance that Kipchoge has.
0: That would be
1: uh, a lot of fun. <laughs> but uh, I think we'll see you one day.
0: <laughs> we can make another t shirt. If somebody can do it, I can do it better. Guy's just a oh god. It's amazing.
2: Wait, wait a second, John. You were there. Is he joking there, or do you think he's serious talking about running a two hour
1: marathon? Well, at the end, he was definitely having some fun, but. No, Look, his approach to the sport, well, he distilled it right there. If he's seen someone do it, he thinks he can do it better. So do I think he'll run under 201 in the marathon? Probably not. But he sees it. He's like, if a human being can do this, I should be able to do it too. That's the way he approaches it. And I asked him, like, from the fifteen hundred to the marathon, which of those world records do you think will be the hardest? And he's like, what do you mean by that? I said, most difficult for you to break. He's like, it's the shorter ones, the ones that require more speed. Aerobically, that's wh- where I'm the strongest. So he didn't officially, like, I should have really pressed him on this and said, do you really think it's going to be harder to break the, mar- the 1500 world record than the marathon world record? But that's kind of what he was getting at. Uh, so I can't wait for his marathon debut down the road, but uh, his approach to the sport, I appreciate the way he lays it out there.
0: World well, Athletics from now on, before you set any damn schedules for worlds, you just need to call up Jakob and his people and say, What events do you want to do? I mean, he obviously it's the 15 and 5, I think, for next year or whatever. But like if this dude wants to do a steeple in the 10, you set it up so he can do it. Like th- th- this is just insane that 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 he could, you know. I mean, I guess we've seen it with Hassan. People can do some crazy things, but I, I have in the back of my head, I'm like, they've always got this VO two max training, you know, they say it's off the charts. I'm like, that would mean he's like a half marathon or at a minimum. So it's just wild to think about.
1: Well, Robert, I do think that if Yaka, Yaka could basically be the most of the 2020s. Like if he hadn't been running the 1500. He could just show up in the 5K and 10K every year, and I think he's strong enough that he wouldn't get dropped, and I think he's fast enough that he'd be able to outkick everyone. I really do think if he just decided to do that, he would sweep the 5K, 10K, the next like three or four global championships. I don't think that's out of the question.
0: Well, it's going to get mad, but when I talk about body types, it does seem a little bit big for the 10,000, but I guess, hey, who was the first non-African to break 27 minutes?
1: Chris Zielinski, who is even bigger than Jakob. Hmm. All right. Well, any final thoughts? We can't spend the whole podcast talking about Jakob Ingebrigtsen, but anything else you want to chime in and say? Body types? We have a total
2: double standard. You're allowed to talk about men's body types, but not women's. It's like blatantly sexist. We should be allowed to talk about all body types in terms of performance on this website, and that's the official new rule, and let's run. There you go. Yeah. Somehow we always talk about Jakob. We have the Supporters Club podcast. We talk about Jakob, but we also talked a lot about Yard and the Goose. Dude, great year. Great season. 343.
1: I mean, it's like 327, 1500. I, know, I talked to Yard after the race. I was saying, like, you know, this is a new level for you. This is clearly a breakthrough. He's like, oh, I'm not really sure about those 1500 conversions. Like, I'm pretty sure. he. Well, do you know what his split was at 1500 of this race? Split. No, I don't. It was three fifty it was three twenty-nine two. His American record in the fifteen hundred is three twenty-nine oh two. Clearly, this was a superior performance. It was worth something around three twenty-seven high, I think. We haven't seen that from Yard before. He was closer to anyone on the circuit, well, until Kajelcher on Sunday, but before he's as close as anyone has been to Yar Jakob on the Diamond League circuit in a 1,500 or a mile the last two years. And I think the one thing that has changed now, look, going ahead to 2024, is we kind of assumed, okay, Jakob is clearly just f- a lot fitter than everyone else. The question is, can he hold on and actually do it in a championship final? And now, after Yard runs 343, I'm like, I'm not convinced... Jakob's that much fitter than everyone else. Now, granted, he blocked the win for him. Jakob was leading this thing, but he wasn't that... The, the gap was not the gap we've seen in other Diamond Leagues this year.
2: Well, all year, we said for Jakob to be guaranteed to win, he needs to be like a second and a half better than everybody else. He's not. So it makes next year even more interesting. And another thing, I mean, this is crazy, but... and. World rec- any talk of the world record now has to include Yard Nagus, an American. I mean, that is crazy. He's in the ballpark now to think if he improves, he's the world record holder at 1,500 meters or the mile. So super shoes, whatever, I don't care. That He's in the talk there.
1: The 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 mile, yes, because he was less than a second off it. The 1500, if he's running like 320, if that's equivalent to a 327 mid, 327 high, the world record in the 15 is still 326 flat. That's still a pretty big gap. But yeah, the mile, he you know he's within a second of it. Which when's the last time we had a distance American distance run to do something like that?
0: Well, said a second and a half. I wanted to yak up two to three seconds faster than everybody. The good news for him is I don't think Yared's a whole lot faster than him. They both have 146, 800-meter PBs. Now, Yard's was in a big negative split, wasn't it, this year, John?
1: Yard's got better speed than Jakob. I, I believe that. But it's hard to know because they don't race the 800 very much.
0: But I, I would like to see Jakob run some 800s to work on his speed. I mean, in his post-race interview, he talked about how you'd be almost a fool not to double threshold because, you know, you don't get injured by going all out like you do in the speed sessions. But then he's like, well, if you work working speed, you get better speed. So you might need to do that a little bit. But big picture-wise, you know, I said I'm writing this article, but what are we going to remember the season for? What are we going to remember pre for? I, I think this meet, I mean, obviously, if you're a field eventer, Mondo's world record.
1: But will we remember it for Mondo's world record, Robert? Because he's got seven world records. He's probably going to have like another seven before he retires. I mean, it was it was cool that he broke the world record. I'm going to remember Worlds last year because he was the final event and breaking it as like a walk-off. I'm not sure three years from now I'll remember world record seven of 15 in Mondo's career.
0: Fair enough. Well, I came up with this, Dad. He actually it seemed like he sets a world record all the time. He'd been only PRing every other year until this year. So he he'd done 2019 or 2018, 2020, 22. He, he didn't PR in, in 2019 or 2021. And then he did PR this year. So back to back years he's gotten the world record. Which is good. I always say you want to keep improving. But you know, an amazing double, maybe 14 flat. But for me, it's really going to be the 343. The two 343s and Yard getting to that level is wild to consider.
1: Yeah. We we appreciate Yard's 2023 season as a whole. This guy started in January running 728 right out of the blocks, which was an American record in the 3000 meters. He follows that up with a 347 American record at Millrose. Then we're like, okay, this guy has arrived. He is a star. And essentially maintain that level for almost eight months. He showed up in the Diamond Leagues and didn't run badly at all. He won two of them. He ran 329.02 in Oslo. He won the U.S. title. He goes to Worlds. He was fifth. That's probably his worst race of the season. That was fifth in his first global championship, the best-fight American in that event since Centro won gold in 2016. And then he closes out his year by beating the world champion in 1,500 in Zurich. And running 343 and destroying the American record in the mile. like This is one of the best campaigns we've ever seen from an American middle-distance runner, and obviously without the medal, there's that hole in it, but for him to do what he did from start to finish in his first season as a professional, he's still only 24 years old, absolutely phenomenal stuff. I mean, I can't understate how impressed I was by what Yard Negus accomplished in 2023.
2: And, and for the record, if you guys missed it, Yard was sick at worlds. Let's just get it out there. We discussed it on the, Thank the you. supporters club podcast. There we go. If, if Yaku can Thank talk you. about not being a hundred percent yard, can talk about it too. John, we just need to leave it there.
1: Well, well we, no, we-, we need to give a little context. Cause I was talking to Nathan Ritzenhain about it. And he said, you know, he kind of strongly hinted in the interview I did with him. Like, Oh, you know, We're not saying someone wasn't 100%, but maybe they were, and what he clarified was, yeah, Yard, Yard was feeling sick during the rounds at Worlds. He was, he said he felt good for the final. He said he did not want that to be an excuse. He didn't think it affected his performance in the final, but he did mention earlier he might have been a little under the weather.
0: That's ridiculous. Play the Rojo Ramp music. I, I need to have that. I've got my soundboard set up, so send it to me, Worlds, so I can have it in the future, but like I was listening to the, to the podcast on Saturday night and I was like, oh my God, people ripped Ru- Jakob for coming up with, coming up with the excuse that he was sick when he was sick. I never ripped him. He was sick. He told the facts that he was sick. Big deal. And I actually ripped people who were hiding this. And that's you, Ritzenheim. and I. That's you, Jared. Yared Neguse, the only explanation for why that guy, after seeing the 343 mile, the only explanation for why he didn't get a medal at Worlds to me is he was sick at Worlds. He didn't feel well in other rounds. They said he felt well. You might feel better. Don't have You, 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 know, you, you don't have the sore throat anymore, but you're still hampered. You're still weakened. That's the same thing as Jakob. Jakob said he woke up the day of the final. He, his throat wasn't hurting as much. He thought he was going to feel better, but in the race, he realized, I'm not 100%. So Ritz won't make the excuse. I will. But it's kind of funny. You know, we don't want it to be an excuse, but we're mentioning it you. No, you shouldn't be ashamed about it. The dude was sick at Worlds. That's why he didn't medal. That's my... That's my believe. Now, I've got another Ritz rant later, but by the way, Dathan, you're doing an amazing job, so don't misunderstand the rants. It's just some things you say just got me going. But the question is, can Negus build on this for next year? I think it's going to be tough for a number of reasons. One, this is the year that he would have the big breakthrough. He goes out to training. He's a pro for the first time. He's got no school, all of that. And he had a massive breakthrough. Sometimes, when you have the massive breakthrough, you think, "Oh, the next year I'm, I'm going to have another breakthrough." And a lot of times, you just either stabilize or get close to where you were the year before. Look at Hobbs Kessler. Last year, you know, he, he didn't—he wasn't at the same level that he was the year before. He got close to his PRs but didn't get there. Also, Nagus, let's let's face it—he's a little bit injury prone. We, we saw it a lot in college, and maybe with the massage therapy and the and the and the, and the more resources that he has it's not going to be an issue. If, if I was him, I would not up my training at all. If he's already made a big jump this year, I would try to stabilize where he's at for a year, not mess with it. You, can't, you don't want to risk it in, in the Olympics. I guess you want to win the gold, but I feel like if he's, I don't know the specifics of his training, but if he made a big jump this year, I'd be hesitant to go up another jump next year in Olympic year. I would stay where he is, see what's going to happen, and think that was amazing. Let's try to get back to the fitness. Let's don't get greedy.
1: Totally with you, Robert. I think... If he sticks, what he if he can just stay healthy through Paris, and he sticks with essentially the same training he did in 2023, you're going to naturally build a little bit. You know, if you can just stay healthy, how many times do we ask these athletes? Oh, why did you make this big breakthrough? It's like, well, it's just healthy, consistent training. You're naturally, at his age, going to improve a little bit if you can just keep staying healthy and logging training. So, I agree with you. I think Ritz is a smart enough coach that they're not going to. Go crazy trying to push the envelope. He's already right there. You know, just just don't screw it up.
0: Moving forward, what happens if one of these races if Jakob just doesn't take it out?
1: Oh, hell prisoner's dilemma. Those. No, prisoner's dilemma.
0: Ritz wants a fast. Pa- I mean, Nagus wants a fast pace. Is he going to take it?
1: We we go back to what we saw in the old 1500. Then you get into tactics and positioning. And it's going to be interesting, actually, because so many of these guys are now used to every single race going fast. And it's going to be like, oh, wait, am I supposed to get in this position? When do I move up? Do I worry about wasting energy? I mean, Yard, let's remember, this guy was a good championship racer in the NCAA. He beat out Grant Fisher to win the DMR back in 2019. He won a 1500 by thousands of seconds when he won the NCAA title in 2019. He's got some tactical experience, but for many of these guys, they aren't being placed in those race scenarios as much uh, because of the way the 1500 is run in 2023. And also, let's not forget, he did win the US title, and it's not like it was a super tactical race. It was 334, but he had to make some decisions there, and he was the favorite. He, he came through in that one, but it is going to be different beating Joe Wascom and Cole Hawker than it is some of the very best guys in the world. Though So Hawker's Hawk up there. I mean, Cole Hawker ran 348. He's number four all-time in the U.S. now, so not a bad run for him either. All
0: right, Yelkev, if you're listening, though, there's a, a, a thing you do need to change. Stop looking over your shoulder. It's starting to be like, was it Mo Farah? Who was the guy that used to always look over their shoulder? Oh, no. Uh, uh, Paul Chelimo, right? Yeah. Like, he looked over his shoulder three different times in the 1,500, was doing it in the final 50 meters of the, of the 3,000. Dude, you don't want to lose an Olympic gold by 100 a second because you're looking over your shoulder. So that's my advice for Jakob. All right, there was one other thing that Ritz said that bothered me. I'm thrilled that he actually provided the excuse that he said it's not an excuse that, 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 that Negus was sick at Worlds. But this other quote that you had in this article – Come on, man. This reminds me of when Yaka Ingebrigtsen told me, like, we were debating whether Britsen would retire. And I said, there's no chance this guy retired before he's t- 2000, before 2028. Remember last year, there was some talk, like, how long is he going to do it? I think he kind of led to that talk. If you listen to the interview this year, he's like, this is my job. This is what I do. Like, he's really into, like, I'm a badass. This is what I was made to do. And I'm doing it. So Ritz said this about, you know, Nagus not meddling. See, well, you get more out of it if you do if you don't do everything. You get more out of the season than if you do everything in the first year. I don't want year to be in dental school in 2025. If year won the world championships this year and the Olympics and set the world record, we would probably not see him anymore after 2025. Give me a break. Is he really saying that with a straight face? You think that if you win the Olympics and set the world record, that he doesn't keep running? through tool 2028 when it's a home Olympics. That's one of the dumbest, most disingenuous comments I've ever made. Maybe he said it for hyperbole, but the money involved in that would be astronomical. He'd be turning down probably $4 million at least.
1: Yeah. I think there's some hyperbole involved there. Robert, if you've listened to yard talk, yeah, he's track and field. It's fine. He has fun doing it. I think, He's like, well, if I'm still having fun, I'll keep doing it for in, for a little while. And I think if you're breaking world records and setting Olymp- you know, winning the gold medal at the Olympics or the Worlds, you're probably having a lot of fun. He's going to stick with with it. But when he came on the podcast earlier this year, Yared said he thinks he's going to. He doesn't see himself running after age 30. You know, he's got the 2028 Olympics. He thinks that would be a cool thing to shoot for. He'll have one more Worlds after that. He turns 30 in the middle of of 2029. But he doesn't really see this long time. He's had this goal of starting a dental practice for a while now. And yeah, the money, I don't, I I think the money and everything that comes with it, you know, if he does all that stuff by 2025, I think he'd be back for 2026. But I think Dathan is kind of get across. He's not someone who is like live or die with the sport who is just thinking about running nonstop like Yaka Benga He's someone who does running because he's good at it and because he ha- can have some fun with it, but he's not obsessed with track and field.
0: But my original rant was going to be titled, no one wants to be a dentist. Does anyone really want to be a dentist? And I said this to my wife and she's like, of course people want to be dentists. Your son wants to be a dentist. So Clayton's in little doctors after he's in a little, do- the little doctor club. He's, he's revealed to me yesterday. He wants to be a dentist. I think he must've heard us talking about this. So and then I was talking to another buddy and he said, oh, you're wrong about it. Because I was saying just the money would keep him in. And someone's like, Robert, have you forgotten how much some of these dentists make? And no, I haven't forgotten because I had to get the Invisalign for my own teeth so that I could start my run, my run, my mayoral bid soon. You know, I can't have crooked teeth if you're going to go into politics. Some of I mean, these people, man, this, this lady made, she works one day a week now. She's making so much money. It's ridiculous how much they charge. So maybe you know, my buddy was like, well, maybe not for a year, but the Dennis wakes makes way more than most pro track runners.
2: <laughs> Somebody start a f- campaign for Robert to run for mayor of Baltimore. Oh my God. Just the comedy of that would be great. I, mean, I think he'd probably be a great mayor, but on top of it, I was discussing yesterday. I may run for Congress like the U S Congress guys. Did you know daylight savings
1: it's not canceled it's still happening this year Doesn't surprise me. whenever they were talking about oh daylight savings go away I'm like what do they mean? I I thought that was BS when they first started talking about it. It doesn't shock me.
2: All year I'd heard that day I'd heard that daylight savings had passed last year and it was going to end this year. No, turns out the damn House of Representatives didn't pass it. So I will support any candidate who supports banning daylight savings. Marco Rubio apparently led this in in the Senate. Thank you, Marco Rubio. Clearly America's best politician. I don't care what your party is. Get behind
1: this. Come on. Daylight savings has become part of my life at this point. Well, then I always know it's just attuned to the track calendar. The clocks go back the night before the New York City Marathon and they go forward the night after NCAA indoors. So it's just a part of my existence will be broken if they stop doing that.
2: So I got another month of enjoying myself, then about six months of misery.
0: I forgot that thing. Even I forgot about daylight savings and how depressing it is. It gets dark. I was wondering, I'm like, it's still getting dark pretty late. But it's like, it's getting, It was hard to cook my steaks last night. Cause it's starting to get dark when I was normally cooked dinner. Then I forgot we're going to, I was like, Oh, but, There's still some daylight, but then we move the clock back an hour. Oh my God. Anyways, all right. A few other things about this meet, John, about what I heard you guys talking about in the podcast the other day. You made a dig. I thought it Beatrice Chepkowicz, the Steeplechase World Record holder. I mean, this is basically the woman that Emma Coburn basically accused of being on drugs. But, and I get it. Most of the top times run by women in the steeplechase have been by people who have been convicted of doping offenses or missed test. But you said some comment about Beatrice Chipkoich, who has found a way to find her for, her old form in her 30s. The way it was said, I thought, was like a dig. To me, Beatrice Chipkowicz finding her form this year means it much more likely, to, in my opinion, that she's clean than dirty. Or, or, or it raises the odds that she's clean a lot higher than what I thought before. So I don't know, I'm not putting a ratio, which is more likely or less, but if you were on drugs, why wouldn't you just stay on drugs and stay at a super high performance? The fact that her her performance dipped to me seems to indicate that she must've gotten injured or something like that. And and so the lack of consistency in performance, like when you race all the time and knock it out of the park, that to me is more suspicious than having an off here.
1: Yeah, I, I think there's something to your line of thinking there, Robert. And I I wasn't trying to accuse her of anything, but if you look at a progression of steeple times, it's, it's quite odd because here are seasons best. 2016, 9.10, 2017, 8.59, 2018, 8.44, a time that no woman still has ever come within six seconds of, including herself. 2019, 8.55, 2020, 9.10, 2021, 9.04, 2022, 9.24. 2023, 8.51. So she had three years there where she wasn't really running that well, but maybe that's a little unfair to her. Maybe she was dealing with injuries. She still did run some pretty good times at other distances. Like in 2020, she ran 8.22 for 3K. That's obviously an exceptional performance. and indicates a bit faster than what she'd been doing. There were no steeples that year, really. So 9.10 was her only race in the COVID year. So yeah, I I think that certainly I can understand your argument but it is just you know it's not super normal for someone to run really have really really good performances dip for a while and then at the age of 32 come back and start running historically fast again
0: well w- one thing about the about the world records you know well says he expects the world records to be in the 840s it's kind of interesting the women's world records almost line up perfectly with with the times the fastest times that I had guys running at Cornell during my dynasty there. Like we had like 14.0 something. The guy should have easily broken 14, but we didn't have the money to go out to California. So we had to run the wind tunnel, pin relays, and he led the whole thing tied up. And then like 29.0 something or 29.10. But in the steeple, 8.40, something like that. And the woman's barriers are lower. But now it's interesting. This, this, this theory doesn't keep going because I guess men, women are relatively better off at the longer distances than the shorter distances because if you go down to the 8 and the 15, it's nowhere close. I mean, the, the number of guys that we had breaking 350 would be like tons, 349 tons. And 154 would be like, you wouldn't even go to the conference meet. So you had to be like an all-time great for me and probably an say level runner to run those, those men's times in the distance events. But for the middle distance events, they're like bad for the team.
1: Okay, Robert, I want to move on to the 3K. We did talk about Jakob Ingebrigtsen, but it's time for our favorite game on Let'sRun.com. Grant Fisher runs 7.25, takes three seconds off his own American outdoor record. Jared actually had run faster indoors this year. But he finished his third in this race, and he admitted afterwards, you know, he thought that was the absolute best he could do because Ingebrigtsen is on a different level. Kajelcha, who crushed him in Zurich, is on a different level. We also didn't have the bronze medalist from Worlds, Jacob Krop, or the silver medalist from Worlds, Mokatia, in this race. So where do you stand on this? Was this good news for Grant Fisher that he runs 725 at the end of a season where he missed a couple months of running due to injury? Or is it bad news because there are still so many guys running fast ahead of him? Or at least two, and then maybe a couple who won in this race.
0: I think it's good news. It's incredible to me that he was able to have a stress fracture, miss all that time, and run these times. So he's a massive talent. He's the only Canadian-born American that we have that, that is really competitive on the global scene. But it's hard to meddle. I mean, the the dude that – as Weldon said it, the dude that pushed Kaj- Britson to the lion in 3,000 was it close to meddling, Kajelcha but the only thing that to me that was a little bit disappointing is like he was third and it's about I know it's about finishing but like his third reminds me of like Grialva's fourth like and i know Grialva only ended up being like point 2 away from a medal at worlds but at no point watching worlds did, we th- did i think Grievas was going to medal like he was way back and he passes a lot of guys in the 100 it's the same thing here with 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 uh fisher like um, I saw that he got in third, and I went back and watched the replay. I didn't watch this one live, and like the Ethiopian guys, like Borrega and them, they'll just run with the lead as as long as they can, and the, the, they're ahead of him with 100 meters to go, and then he passes them and they tie up. and It, just, it did make me think, and I and, and and I see this with like, well, I saw this with Mo Farah. Like, what could some of these Africans guys guys do? I, honestly, if, if Call me a, a, a Western guy, but well, I guess Kajelsa did train under Salazar, right? I just feel like if they were trained better, they, they could just do better. And I, and for some reason, oh, I, and I think that, I know Yara Negus was born and raised in America. I think Yara Negus is the perfect example of this. Like Ethiopia is terrible in the fifteen hundred. It's clearly not a genetics thing because they've got good genes. Look at Negus.
1: You think these guys aren't running well? Like, why? What makes you say, "Oh, these guys could definitely run better"? I, I don't. I don't have a problem with like someone like Berega or Telohune-Mikaeli trying to run up front and trying to win the race. It's a different approach. Fisher admitted he was essentially trying to run for a medal in this race and get third because he didn't think he was fit enough to win. And I think Grant knows his body yeah. very well, and he knows, "Hey, I'm not in seven twenty-three shape. I, I can't do that." But he, he times it very well, but I don't see there's anything wrong with yeah. other guys trying to hang on and say, hey, maybe I'm in 7.23 shape, and if I'm not, I, I fall back a bit. I think either approach is valid. I guess my, kind of race. my thing
0: doesn't make sense because I'm, I'm criticizing Grant for not going for it, and then I'm criticizing the African guys for going for it. So, yeah, whatever. Not a very good argument.
1: Yeah. It, I mean, it, it was really impressive. I think Grant fishing. he was also mentioning, like, okay, I missed like a month of running. He was still training very hard in terms of cross-training. Obviously, there's a limit to how good they can get you, but he was saying, you know, I didn't lose the fitness that I was getting at the start of the season. It just wasn't, you know, he wasn't able to put it on the track and translate it because his body wasn't 100%. Once his body got healthy again, you know, he got these tremendous results, and he'll head into 2024 and a high, and yeah, it's just, he had such a good year last year And we were thinking, can he replicate it? And for most of the year, he wasn't. But then he comes back and it's like, maybe now he might be the fittest he's ever been. So that's a good spot to be in heading into an Olympic year. All right. Another question for you guys. Let's talk about another American record. A thing, Mo. She says after Budapest, she's going on vacation. She wants to stop talking about track and field. And then a few days later, she's talking to her camp and they decide, hey, we don't want to end the season on a down note with her first. defeat ever in a professional 800 meter race she wants to come to the pre-classic and give it one more shot and try to go out on a high this was the explanation she gave i asked her did nike your sponsor have anything to do with you running this race she's like look i i'm sure they're thrilled that i showed up but she claims it was her and her camp so probably her and bobby Kersey, who made the decision to run here and it pays off she runs 154 97, American record, first woman, sub 155 since Casta Semenya. I mean, this is one of the fastest non doped non-DSD times ever. And I don't know exactly where it ranks, but it's way, way up uh, there. Number one? I, I don't know, Robert, but it's very high on that list. So there's a tremendous performance. Basically a rerun of the World Championship Final last year with her and Keeley Hodgkinson. The difference was Hodgkinson was leading this time around for much of it. But I was super impressed by this. And my question to you, Robert, does this prove she was right to join Bobby Kersey? Because you always check these progressions and you're wondering, do young athletes continue to improve? Do they continue to PR? And this is the stats. A thing, Mo, she ran a personal best in 2019. Sorry, in 2021, when she was 19 years old, she didn't PR. Last year at age 20. And now at age 21, she has PRed. And this is only her second 800 of the entire year. She ran a postal best 154.97. Does this prove she made the right choice to leave Milton Mallard and join Bobby Kersey? Or, sorry, third 800 of the year. She ran New York Worlds and now Pre.
0: I'm afraid you're going to offend Will. And you keep asking me, like, I'm the only one whose opinions. I'm count. sorry.
1: Yeah, we'll we'll get Weldon involved in a second, but this is your theory. You're the one obsessed with like PRing at certain ages. So I figured I'd give you the ball. No, point.
0: it it doesn't prove it. Look, like, to me, what this proves is you need to race the 100 a lot. You know, when I asked John Kellogg about when we were heading into Worlds, you know, who was our coaching coach Weldon to his great success and was the mastermind behind eight straight Ivy League titles for us at Cornell, at least the distance side of it. After she ran that 402-1500, I said, is there any way that she, she can be in that type of fitness and with her speed not be good at the 800? And he's like, not really. He's like, but the problem with the 800 is you need to race the 800. That's what he said. To me, this proves running all those 800s got her in 800 shape. I don't know if Bobby understands that. Like, you need to, The best workout for the 800 is the actual damn race very hard to replicate that in practice. I mean, we, we used to do what? 600, 300, 300. I forgot what it was called. But look, to me what this proves is, like, did, did you watch the post-race interview? I guess you were there. She looked like a different person. Her interview with, with Lewis Johnson was wonderful. And he said something really good. Like Lewis is a good interviewer. He's like, look, you're, you're you're coming of age at age 21, on national TV is like a gold medalist. Like we're seeing her develop as a person. Like, like she was so happy after this race, and she admitted it. She said at Worlds, I was, I was trying to tell myself I was happy, but I was miserable every day. I didn't enjoy it at all. And I don't know what's changed. She's obviously had a, a lot of um, some personal things going up. Her relationship with Brandon Miller may or may not be over. I think that's hard. And I said earlier, you know. When you get your heart broken for the first time, I don't know who broke whose heart or if they both broke each other's heart. It's tough. But look, I think she was tired of College Station. I, I can understand not wanting to live in College Station, Texas for the rest of your life when you can go live in LA. But this was very encouraging to me that she ran a PR under him. It's going to change everything. She's not going to doubt anything. But I'm still a little bit concerned with the fact that she does not have an 800-meter coach as her coach. And it's not the same thing. Coaching the 400 is not the same thing as coaching the 800, but from a life perspective, she did what made her happy. And we saw to, we saw in this race, what, when she's happy, she's unbeatable. So I think she needed to make the move for her personal happiness.
2: Okay. I'm jumping in. Just please issue the apologies to Bobby courtesy. My God, like he just ranted on, Oh, it doesn't prove anything to Bobby courtesy, she just ran a PB. Bobby Kersey, good job. There were a lot of doubts. I mean, she showed up at Worlds, underperformed. Whatever the reason, whatever, that's not you, – you couldn't say, wow, it's going great with Bobby Kersey. Now after this run, I think you got to think, okay, this guy at least knows what he's doing. This – and you say she'll never lose. I, that's what I kind of felt. I felt sorry for Keeley. But Keeley is right there again. No – I think Mo raises her game. Keeley raises her game. Like it's, it's pretty amazing how these two sync together. I, but after this one, I was like, Oh man, Keeley look out for next year because I think this, this could do wonders for her next year. At the same time, Robert, I guess there could be some doubt about the cursey long-term rounds. Who knows? Whatever. But I think worlds probably was more of of a personal thing. I think Mo wasn't happy. Generally, you're not going to run well when you're not in a good spot as a person. And John, where does this rank all the time? Number one, non-DSD, non-doped? I think if you look at that list, you'd probably say number one.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I don't want to say anything for sure, but it's very, very high. This is a fantastic run. I love this event. Like, can we make sure that... Hodgkinson and Moe and Marat, they race at least once before the Olympics next year. This was Mary Mara's first 800 defeat of the year, by the way. I mean, she had a fantastic season, was off her game. But it's just so fun seeing these athletes run against each other. We saw it with Warhol and Benjamin, the 400 hurdles. They delivered a, to- a classic. And it's, it's really great for the sport when you've got these massive stars and these budding rivalries and when they're going up against each other. So I I really hope we get to see this at some point before Paris 2024. It was a terrific race on Sunday. And the other thing that I thought was interesting, one of my biggest things off the Worlds was, a thing, Mo, it is time for you to start running on the rail. She was just bleeding time, bleeding distance by running unnecessarily on the edge of lane one or uh, inside of lane two when she's in the lead of the race and people are criticizing her today because they're like for, on Sunday, because she was running extra distance. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. you got to back off that criticism a little bit because this one, she was actually on Hodgkinson's shoulder. And there was tight, Like there was four. It's not like she has, she could easily just slide in behind her. Marat was up there for a while. Ghoul Toppin was up there for a while. Great Jamaican record for her. She joins the 155 club. I didn't mind so much that she was on Keeley's shoulder because she was actually racing, but it's when she's running extra distance for no reason that I, I'm just like, what are you doing? You may have cost yourself the world title. And it's funny, Bobby Coasey came through the mix zone in the middle of our interview. He goes up and whispers something to a thing. And she says, did I not again? It's a force of habit, I guess. And she's like, yeah, he was telling me, you know, you got to run some, you got to you start running on the rail. So he knows that's an issue. She says it's very tough for her because at that point, you know, 200 meters to go in the race or whatever, she's just focused on getting to the finish line. She's tired, but I'm, I'm glad that he's addressing it. And it's funny, the thing she's like, yeah, I've been doing this since my AAU days. It's just kind of a force of habit.
0: But I just, I loved it that she got this PR. I love that she came to the meet. I love that she lost Worlds. It's okay to lose. Life goes on. And she learned this. She's 21. No one's going to care that she lost Worlds if she wins the Olympics next year.
1: Well, so, I, wanna, I just I was really happy she wins the Olympics. I mean, that's true. I don't mind that she lost. Wells, like I think most of our supporters are going to say, "Hey, gold, gold, bronze, three straight years—that's a terrific run. <laughs> like, what Americans ever done that in the 800? Gold, gold, bronze, three straight years. I mean, yeah, she's up against two tr- supreme talents in Hodgkinson and Murat. There's no shame in getting beat by them occasionally. It's just fun for everyone to see them race against each other, and I think I hope. A thing can have fun even in defeat. And I don't think she was just having fun just because she won. She was having more fun going into the meet than she did going into Budapest. So I hope she can keep that in her life moving forward. The sport's better with a thing, mo in it.
0: I think the key is for Paris is she just needs to make sure that she rides in the same Uber car as Jonathan Galt. You guys missed the Friday podcast. John got into an Uber right after a thing, Mo had gotten out of an Uber. Apparently, the, so the, the driver told John, hey, I was just, I was just driving a thing mo around town. What I wanted to know when I heard that story was, do you think, John, that he told the next person he picked up? Like, hey, you're not going to believe who I just drove around. I was driving around the top <laughs> track and field journalist in the world, Jonathan Gold.
1: Seems unlikely, Robert, but who knows? Uh, okay. There was a world record in the 5,000-meter run on sunday afternoon and we've barely said two words about it so i think we need to pay some respect to Gudolf officer when i saw that they were requesting world record pace i'm like Are these people stupid have they not watched the pre-classic before we see this every year they try to run really fast and then it's hot it's sunny there's not good conditions for distance running these world record attempts or whatever always fizzle out i mean we had world record attempts in the on Friday night in the 5K, the last couple of years with uh, Safana San or Joshua Cheptegei, and they weren't even close. So, like at the end of the long season, Gudaf Sagai, she didn't run well in the 5K Worlds. Is she really? You know, are we really gonna see this? Uh, she made me look like a fool. She goes out. She was on the r- wave lights for basically the whole way, and then just blasts the last 400. 14 flat 0.21, almost gets the sub 14, but she smashes. The world record that Faith Kip-Yagon set in Paris earlier this year, almost five seconds off of that. Beatrice Chabet, second place, fourteen oh five. Caps a great year for her. She was world cross country champion back in February. Now I will say this, as opposed to previous free classics, this wasn't like totally, totally miserable conditions. It was warm. It was about seventy degrees. There's a little wind, but not a ton. I don't think it was a little. There were some clouds, but it was still pretty sunny. Like this was not easy conditions for distance running, but it wasn't absolutely miserable. But I don't know. I, I was still, I was kind of blown away. We just don't usually see this, and obviously everyone ran fast in most of the other events too. But this surprised me how easily she was able to break this world record.
0: I agree. It happened when I was watching the Ravens game. When you guys text a world record. And I think I knew somehow I knew it was an Ethiopian. I thought it was good day. It wasn't even in the race. But this got me thinking about worlds. Excuse me, about Paris. I mean, what I've said about Yaki bingen and the 5,000 is with his speed, he seems unbeatable in the championship 5,000. So that clearly applies to Faith Kipiagon, who also before this race was the 5,000-meter world record holder. How do you drop her and then outkick her and I still think that's true, but it made me think, like, could 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 Sagai maybe beat her in the 5,000? I mean, she's a little bit faster here, five seconds. She's not quite as good in the 1,500, but she might be stronger. I mean, remember, this is the woman that won the 10,000 world title this year. Still not sure how she got 13th in Budapest in the 5,000.
1: Well, she, John, said, said, she, picked- she said, said she picked up an injury, and she wasn't feeling healthy in that race.
0: But what what type of injury do you pick up that goes away so you can set a world record?
1: I don't know, Robert. That was her explanation. Her English isn't amazing, but she said she felt something in her leg after that ten thousand it felt it affected her in Budapest, but it'd been cleared up by Eugene. That was her reasoning.
0: But like in the Olympics, let's say the pace is just super hot. You guys think that Kippiegun just sticks on it and then kicks everybody? I mean,
1: Based on how she set the world record in Paris, yes. G'day, I mean, we basically saw this in Paris. G'day ran 14.07 or something, and Kip Yegan acted like it was nothing and still blossomed to the 60s, set the world record. And I think if Kip Yegan was in that race today, she probably runs 13.59 and wins. But Saga is, in the 5K, 10K, Saga is close to Kip Yegan. And there's really, like, next year... The first woman sub 14, it could just depend on who gets a crack at it first. Because I think if you set the wave lights to 1359, Sagai has a shot at it, Hassan, Gade, Kip Yagon, and Chebet. all of those women on their day might be able to do it. So, yeah, I think it's going to be fun, Robert. And I think it'll probably help Sagai. I don't know. Actually, I don't know what it prevents first, but. Sagai has said she wants to do the 1,500, 5K, 10K in Paris next year. Kibyegon, I asked her. she sort of hinted at it. She said she's not sure. She doesn't want to commit to anything yet. But if G'day, sorry, if, uh, if Sagai skips the 1,500 and just does the 510, she's running the 5K fresh and Kibyegon has the 1,500 legs. Maybe that boosts her odds, a couple percentages. I don't know.
0: We're becoming like swimming. We're going to have the same people winning all the medals. We're gonna have I kind I kinda wanna have Faith Kip Yeagon, Sergey and Hassan run all three and just take all three medals in all three events.
1: I mean, that would be amazing. I'd i l- I'd sign up for three rounds of that. mean, what do we we complain Robert? What do you always complain about? You're like Venus Nig Niangabo won the five thousand in Atlanta in nineteen ninety six because Geb wasn't there. We want the best of the best in every race. We want if you won an Olympic medal, we want those athletes to have earned it. So it would be great to see all three of them go for it, but who knows if they will or if the federation's if the ethiopian federation would even allow it do
2: i still have to be silenced here about the shoes
1: no it's go off i mean the shoes is anyone pretending that the shoes and the wave lights don't help on these things
2: well actually speaking of shoes if you need a better running shoe remember go to let's run.com slash shoes seriously check this out great shoe reviews rankings data science No BS.
0: Also, if you're going on a road trip, plane trip, you need something to entertain the kids with or yourself, download XC Cross Country Racing in your favorite app store. Ryan Craven's video game is now available on your phone for free. XC Cross Country Racing. You should get good at it because I'm pretty sure we're going to be offering. He's been texting me. He wants to offer like, $500 $500 Five hundred, I like got like five hundred dollars for first place. Huge cash prizes coming. So you want to start practicing now? Link in the show notes.
2: But this sounds bad. Like in some ways, I was glad she didn't go lean a little more. I mean, she didn't miss it by a lean, but thank you, Wayne and There was some debate. You didn't move out. <laughs> she missed the record by what point? Missed fourteen flat by point two points. She ran fourteen flat point two one. So. But I was just was like, and Sege is an amazing talent and maybe she's slightly overshadowed because without Hassan and without um, Kipigon we'd be like we've never seen anything like this. This woman has amazing 1500 10000 she would be like the goat of goats. But instead she's not viewed that way. She got the 10k world title this year and Maybe that's because Safan Hassan fell at the finish. She probably would have passed her anyway. But uh, I don't know. I, w- I, I, I want Hassan or Kipi going to be the first person under 14 flat. And I think uh, the shoes are changing the game.
0: This seems like a no-brainer to me for Nike to do it at the pre-classic next year at night, on the Friday night. Although sometimes they can't be an official Diamond League event. You either set up the first sub 14 or the first sub 29. All right. Can we take a, a bigger picture Look at the year as a whole, the track season as a whole? Well, bro, I, I wanted
1: to say? offer you one thing about pre. We don't need to talk about every single race. Can we talk about the atmosphere of pre and being in the stadium? Cause these organizers were saying it's close to a sellout. You know, we hope that by they said at the press conference on Friday, we think the meat will be we're hoping the meat will be sold out by Saturday and Sunday. I'm sorry, it wasn't. And they they claim it was effectively a sellout. The pre-class the Haywood Field official capacity on the website is listed as two thousand twelve thousand six hundred and fifty. They said there were twelve thousand three hundred and sixty-four ticketed spectators for day one, twelve thousand three hundred and fifty five for day two. Just wasn't the case. The entire that small section behind the hundred meter start, that was virtually empty, the entire meet. And the back straight was about two-thirds, three-quarters full. There were empty seats there, the whole meet. The atmosphere was pretty good. But, I don't know, it's, it's kind of... It was definitely better than USA's. Way better than USA's. But it's alarming to me that the pre-Fontaine Classic Diamond League final, I mean, that's about as big as meets get in the U- U.S. I guess you're at the World's last Year, and you'll have the Olympic trials will be a bit more popular. But this is a world-class track meet. and the so- supposed mecker of U S track and field still can't get the sellout there.
0: It it doesn't bother me in that sense. There's just not enough people within distance of the uh, uh, track fans within driving distance of Eugene. Well, boy, I said at the beginning of the show, I was glad I didn't have to go out there to be honest. I'd probably ne- rather never have to go to another track meet in Eugene, but I'm kind of on the anti Eugene. It's not fair, but To me, they should have one big track meet a year in Eugene. Whether that's Pre-Classic, USA's, and if you're a track fan in the Northwest, you make it out there to support track and field. That's what you do. You go to the one meet. You can't be expected to go to NCAA's, USA's, Pre-Classic, and spend $350 if you're lucky and stay in the Motel 6 a night. But What's disturbing to me is I was so happy when they said this is a sellout. It's almost all the seats are sold. This is they said, and I looked on the website the week before there weren't very many seats for sale on there. They said they had people from 49 of 50 U S States. So my, and it looked good enough for TV. It wasn't embarrassing. So that's the positive. The negative is like, where are those seats going? Because you're right, John, that one stretch, nobody's sitting there on the other stretch you know, the different color seats make it hard to say, I'd say like 60% on the backstretch, maybe.
1: It wasn't that much, but I would say it was a, about one third empty the whole time. And the other thing is the backstretch is in the sun. So many people will leave those seats and go to the concourse to get a better view or get in the shade. I do understand. I
0: want to know. I want to know though. they said ticketed spectators. I don't doubt that, that that many tickets were handed out or given to people. You know, Momo posted on the message board that, You know, Nike used to bust people in when when they were up for for, for bids, 23 bus loads. So maybe the Nike employees have the tickets and don't use them. I want to know how many of the tickets were used. And was this a ticketing problem where I think you had to buy tickets to both days. So maybe people bought tickets for both days and then only went to one because they couldn't find lodging. So you you, you show up for Saturday and you just eat the ticket on Sunday. Or you show up on Sunday and you eat the ticket on Saturday. There's got to be some explanation for why when they claim it's A full capacity in terms of ticket spectators, I'd say it's only really two-thirds capacity.
1: Well, it wasn't two-thirds. It was more than two-thirds full. And I don't don't have a problem with giving away tickets. I think it's important to have full stands and really no matter how you accomplish it. And I I do think, Robert, it's fair to say this isn't a major population center. To get 12,000, 11,000, 10,000, whatever they got, it wasn't embarrassing and... I'm glad that they had a lot of fans for for most of the days. But you look at these European meets. I mean, Zurich had double this uh, for their meet. And obviously, there are more people closer to Zurich. But, yeah, I'm not totally depressed by it. But it's just... Depressed? John, did you see the
2: World Championships last year? Yeah. They had the World Championships in Eugene, and it wasn't sold out. So, to me, I was... When I heard it might be a sellout, I was shocked. I was like, thank God. And they came up well short of a sellout. I don't know, maybe 80%, I would say seats in the in the in in there, butts in the seats. But it, as Robert said, it was not embarrassing. It was acceptable for TV. They should probably have like a fan section on that corner because that's so visible. Just get like 50 rabid fans, sit them there, like watching the Texas Rangers game. There's now like supporters of the Texas Rangers. It's like a soccer match. Just get the crazy fans, put them there. I don't know, let them like high five all the athletes or go swimming in the water pit between events or something crazy. I don't know. But I, I, I've i wondered if they've had a ticketing, like if there's some ticketing software thing because it whirls a lot of times. They said there's no tickets and then you show up and there's just aren't a lot of people there. So that part I can't explain. But two weeks out, I was like, I hope... To goodness, there aren't just vast empty blocks of seats. I figured at the very least they would give away tickets. So this met a low bar for me.
1: Yeah, I I guess I shouldn't be too critical. It was like, I wasn't sitting in the stadium and like, wow, it's so depressing that no one's here to see it. Like, the crowd was good. They were on their feet for the entire final lap of Sagai's world record. I thought it was great. You know, they witnessed something, they knew something special was going on. So the crowd that was there was good. Yeah. Would it have been nice to see us Yes. But this was better attendance we've had in Eugene than other meets recently. So I, I think overall, not bad. And the one thing that also stands
2: out, the Olympics, the Olympic trials. That's what people care about in America. There's a myth of Tracktown USA, I think, that some of these worlds are putting away. For a small population center, yes, they're very into track and field. But they can't do it all there on their own. Pre this amazing stadium. Thank you, Phil Knight. They got 20,000 a day for the Olympic trials. Close to that number. And I think if they have an Olympic trials in Eugene next year, well, that's, <laughs> this stadium doesn't seat enough. So I don't, I don't know what they'll do for temporary stands, but they will fill it up, I think, every single day. Unless, <laughs> unless now people are just done with travel snafus, but...
0: The trials need to go to Eugene at most, one every once every eight years. If you put the trials and built a temporary track in Nebraska, it would sell out easily. They just got eighty thousand for a women's volleyball game.
2: This isn't Ooh. that hard? Ooh, let's move the trials, Omaha, Nebraska. We'll put it in the football stadium. Genius idea, Robert.
1: Lincoln, Nebraska.
0: But in the message board thread about planning about the attendance, someone's like, well, USATF is just sitting by and letting this happen. I'm like, they're not sitting by and letting this happen. They were paid to let this happen. Someone on there posted, yeah, Nike gave USATF like $500 million over 2025 20, years. And what's amazing about the way the deal was structured, the CEO of USATF gets several million of that every year as a performance bonus. This poster was like, in Africa, we might call that a bribe. In the U.S., you call that good business. So, kind of funny comment.
1: Well, the other thing about Eugene, I'm like, I'm not even certain if you had a had this meet in a major population center, is the Diamond League final enough of a carrot to get more than twelve thousand? If you had this thing in New York or Boston or like a major city, I know you don't have the facility in most of those places that has twelve thousand spectators, but. I'm not sure. It's the thing we don't really know. Is it because track's just more popular in Europe, they will get bigger crowds or is it that, you know, this isn't in a major city. And if it wasn't a major American city, you'd get more track fans and you get 20 or 30,000. I'm not really sure, but I tend to think it's, you get similar crowds or maybe not even what we got in Eugene.
0: I don't care about 20 or 30,000. For some reason, I just like it looking full.
1: Yeah. Like, yeah,
0: The New York Diamond League, for some reason, couldn't even pull in 8,000. But m- I did post on the message board. I'm like, you know what? I think if you had this meet right here in Baltimore, you'd get 10,000 people. Now, there's no track for it. But w- within 100 miles of Bol- downtown Baltimore, there's 17 million people living. It's one of the biggest 100-mile radiuses in the world, in the U.S. Within 100 miles of Eugene, there's 2 million people. If you, if you double that to two, 200 miles, there's 40 million people within 200 miles of Baltimore. Eugene, there's 4 million. So it could be 1 100 as popular, and you just got so many more people. But now, you know, the Ducks had a home football game. Was it a sellout? I assume it was, John.
1: There were a lot of people there. Um, but I don't know. I, I wish I wanted to go to it, but uh, I had to continue walking off to the beat. Anyway, oh, the one other thing, speaking of the Ducks, so you'll notice every Nike athlete in the entire meet was wearing the same singlet, the yellow and green. I know pre I know they like to do this at the pre classic. They used to do it. I remember in 2010, like everyone was wearing like the I think it was the yellow, like live strong ones, or like they, they do this every year. And maybe it's just a flex on Nike's part, but I'm sorry, it looks terrible. Like you have all these different clubs and teams. Grubb Fisher has Bowman Track Club singlets. Sinclair Johnson, who was pacing one of the races, she's got a Union Athletics Club singlet. You've got the world, the reigning world champion singlets. And meet races just look better when not every single person is wearing an identical singlet. And I just... Maybe Nike's fine with it because it shows their dominance. And maybe more Nike athletes are running pre than other brands because they, they had an incentive to. But... Uh, as a... Impartial observer, I just don't think it looks good when you've got half the field in the exact same singlet.
2: Well, most of Nike athletes wear the same singlet every time, anyway, so it's not that much different.
1: Yeah. To me, it seemed it seemed noticeably different to me. Like at least I'm used to seeing Fisher and BATC stuff or Jakob in his world champion stuff. Well, I don't know. Maybe that's just one man's ramblings, but it seemed more noticeable to me than ever.
2: I still don't know about this world champion kit. Is that crazy? I watch every single Diamond League. Can someone please tell me what the world champion kit is? They should have something denoting it. I've never noticed that.
1: So Nike, for as long as I've covered the sport professionally, which is since 2014, Nike will come out with a special reigning world champion or reigning Olympic champion kit. They've done this every year. It's a variation on their standard pro kit. I always think it's cool. It's like Yaka. This year, Jakob would wear it or Katie Moon would wear it this year or Faith kip Yagon This year is white and black as opposed to the, the usual colors uh, that the other Nike athletes are wearing. They've done it every single year for as long as I can remember. It's kind of amazing that you haven't noticed it well then.
2: Robert, have you noticed?
0: I mean, I heard y'all talk about it before, but no, it doesn't jump out at me. Look, there's a thread on this complaining about the same Nike kids from 10 years ago. They got bumped up this year. So this is an ongoing complaint. I do think it makes you realize how many what percent of the top athletes are sponsored by Nike.
2: Yeah, John acted like, oh, there's more Nike athletes because they're incentivized to run pre. This was a final. You had to qualify it. There's just more Nike athletes in the sport. And I just looked it up. Phil Knight's 85 years old. I hope he's around for a lot more trials, but they need to have one in Eugene. This time, next time around. I'm fine with that. He built this new stadium. I'm saying the dude should be able to enjoy an Olympic trials in the stadium. I'm just going to say it while he's alive. Guy's done a lot for track and field.
0: They had the 2021 trials in the stadium, Alden.
2: Oh, yeah. Well, that was COVID.
0: Were there spectators for that, John?
1: Limited spectators. But Phil was there. Did you see did you see Phil Knight, John, this time? What do you mean, this time? I never see Phil Knight at these meets. I, I don't doubt that he was there, but he's not someone like, oh, hey, Phil, how's it going? Well, you could see him in like the box by the finish. Yeah, I didn't see him personally, but my assumption was he's there. I, I can't can neither confirm nor deny.
2: Did you see Caitlin Toohey there, John?
1: No, but a number of visitors have reported that. Apparently, she was spotted running on Freeze trail. The speculation is this was a recruiting trip for Nike. This isn't like some hush-hush thing. Spoiler alert. The top professional, sorry, the top collegiate athletes go on recruiting trips all the time to pro brands. This ha- has happened for years. There's nothing illegal about it. Nike, she she has an NIL deal with Adidas, but that expires once she decides to turn fully professional. Nike would be stupid not to be interested in her. So, and this is their big weekend. This, you know, they can have people come to the pre-classic, see what it's all about, go up to Beaverton afterwards. Yeah, surprise, surprise! Top professional athlete being courted by major sportswear brand.
2: But John, come on! You got this. Shows how different NIL is because. If this was a full fledged contract, this there is zero percent chance this would happen. What do you mean? That they would let her be courted while under contract. There might be some back channel deals or something, but I really doubt she'd fly out to the meet when she's not competing there and, and be there for a rival sponsor.
1: Right, but we already knew that. We already knew that Adidas the N A L deals do not lock you in but be on your collegiate eligibility like yeah it's i I guess it does show one thing we weren't sure about is like oh someone who signed an nile with deal with one brand automatically going to turn pro with that brand once they turn pro and two we might still stay with adidas but it's not a guarantee all right robert you've been itching to get on this topic you've tried two times and we've shut you down both times but it's finally your moment. What do you see? Big picture storylines. What is it you want to discuss from uh, lasting mo- memories of 2023?
0: Well, I've written down like five or six things. I want you guys to help me rank them. Number one was Faith Kip takes her brilliance to another level. I mean, she was already, argument can be made, the greatest 1500 meter woman ever, start of the year. Now there's no doubt. Only doubt is she the greatest women's distance runner of all time. I think Karen Estababa probably still has her, but I've got that in there, my analysis here. Other things that we'll remember in 10 years from now. Jakob Engelbretzen has a season for the ages, but loses the 1,500 meter world title. Jared McGoots breaks out, 343 for an American. Niels Laros breaks out. You know, there could never be a tennis player as good as Federer until there was. I think that's what we're seeing with Laros. I think this guy's going to be a monster. So those were the distant stories that I definitely were going to have in my article. Debating putting the steeplechase world record in there, maybe a women's 5,000 record. Sprint-wise, I've got Shakari winning the 100 is the biggest story. Cool. Noah Lyles winning the 100 and 200 double. I mean, Noah was already famous and a big deal. So to me, that's less important than What Would you rank all those things, John?
1: Yeah, it depends on what you. It depends on what you do. From a big, like from track and field in the real world, Shaqiri is probably number one, and then it's probably Lyles too. Uh, Shaqiri is one of the few household names of track and field in the United States. And her getting it right and being great all the way through the season and winning the world title—that that's a huge deal for her. Lyle's getting the 100, 200 double. Yeah, I think in terms of storylines, because he'd been an established star, it's a little behind Shikari. But winning the No. Lyle stepping down and winning the 100—that was something he'd run well on the 100 before. It wasn't something that anyone was sure he would do on the biggest stage, and he got it right. So. That's obviously a huge deal as well. In terms of distance stuff, I think Kip Yegon is going to go... That's the biggest storyline to me. This was the greatest season we've ever seen for a women's distance runner. I feel, after sort of thinking it through, I think that's the takeaway at this point. What Hassan did in Tokyo, double gold and the bronze, maybe still the great sing- single greatest sort of meat a women's distance runner has ever had, but between Kim Yagon's utter dominance in the 1500, her world records in the 1500 mile and 5K, sweeping the 1500 5K at Worlds, the first woman to ever do that. And you know what? I'm giving her credit for winning the the World Road Running Championships on October 1st, where she'll be the heavy favorite in the mile. She'll probably break the world record in that one as well. I think this is just a legendary season by one of the all-time greats of the sport. So... That, to me, distance-wise, I think that's the storyline we'll still be looking at 10, 15, 20 years from now.
0: And John first heard this idea of greatest season ever for a distance runner in the House of Run podcast. But i started researching who might have had a better season on the men's side. I like Gabo Celeste's 1997 season was pretty special. Went 12-0 and between events between 3 and... 3,000 and 10,000. Indoor world record in the 5,000. Outdoor 5,000 world record, lowering it from 1244 to 1241. Outdoor 10,000 world record from 2638 to 2631. World's best at two miles and won the 10,000 world title. And it's kind of similar to Kip, to uh, Kippy Agon's this year because he lost the 10,000 title world record before the year was over. Turgot. Beat it, but then it's kind of funny. In 1995, Gabriel had basically did the exact same thing. Undefeated on the on the distance events, nine zero on the track, world 10,000 title, world records in the five and the ten, world's best in the two mile. Now he didn't run as fast in 95 as he did in 97, but he brought the world records down a lot more. He took them from 12:55 to 12:44. I mean, when you take eleven almost 11 seconds off the 5,000 world record. Like that was mind blowing back then. And he took almost 10 seconds off the 10,000. So in 97, he ran faster, but I wonder if the people that were really paying attention back then on a daily basis. And I certainly wasn't thought 95 was better than 97.
1: Yeah. i had some amazing years. I mean, there are some other ones in here, Robert 1998. He didn't have a worlds, but he runs 331 indoors, outdoors 720, 726 sorry, 726 world indoor record at 3,000 meters, 725 outdoors. He runs a world record of 12:39 outdoors, and he runs 26,22, another world record in the 10K. So that was 98 with no championships. And then 99, he wins world indoors in the 1500,, goes undefeated in like, you know, 12 or 15 races overall in the season. Comes back, also wins world indoors in the 3K, and then wins the 10,000 world outdoors. He didn't have any world records outdoors. He did break the world record indoors in the 5K. But I think, if anything, this uh, exercise has made me appreciate just how good Haile G was. It's like he was before my time. One of the first track races I remember watching was his 2000 Olympics against Togart. But he was, well, his track exploits were before my time. I, I, when I got into the sport, he was dominating the marathon. Or at least running fast in the marathon. But yeah, man. Haile G was really good. Breaking news.
0: There's another story that we didn't mention in the preview that I want to talk about. In the intro. I guess the people that didn't listen to end won't hear about it. Good friend of... Well, I shouldn't say good friend, but... Guy the Weldon and I like. Yeah, I think you do too, John. Chris Fox is getting back into the coaching ranks. I guess young kids don't even remember what happened in 2017, but he guided Syracuse to the NCAA men's cross-country title.
1: Yeah, even Robert doesn't remember what happened in 2017 because that actually happened in 2015.
0: Even longer. So eight years ago. So the teens now don't remember that he uh, Syracuse won it all eight years ago. But he was coaching the poorly named Reebok Boston Track Club that was based in Charlottesville. Anyways, that disbanded. He decided to go back to the coaching ranks, and he'll be assistant for Coach Brian Bell at Syracuse. I love this. I think it's great. I think a lot of coaches would not hire their former boss to work underneath them. But it reminds me of a story Weldon told me. When he was in business school, they asked them to interview successful people. One of the people Weldon interviewed was our Uncle Bob. His keys to success were always hire the best people, period. He's like, most people are afraid to hire people smarter than them. I'm not. The smarter people that I hire make me money. So I'm not saying that Coach Fox is smarter than Brian Bell, but I'm saying that he's a damn good coach and you want him helping you. And I, I, I like this.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting move, right? Because for so long, the dynamic was, I mean, Fox and Bell are very good friends that go back a ways, but Fox was the number one and Bell was his assistant. And now Bell is the number one and Fox is his, his assistant. How is that all going to shake out? I don't know, but it's good that Chris Fox is still in the sport. He's suddenly, I think he's still got a lot to offer. Um, you know, Reebok Boston track club were getting some decent results uh, when he was there. I mean, Justin Knight ran 12:51, finished like what seventh of the Olympics. Monty Hare and Colin Benny were running pretty well in the marathon. Josette Andrews was third in the Diamond League final. I mean, they the group kind of fell apart, and I think it's essentially because yeah, you know, Reebok got sold. But oh. I think he's still a good coach, and I'm interested to see how it goes and if you know, does this mean he's going to get another coaching job in, in college someday, uh, uh, beyond this or would some pro group take a shot at him at some point? I don't know. He's, you know, he's in his mid 60s, but he's still got the desire to, to still be coaching out there. And I think he's a good one.
0: I thought he had great success with the Boston Tread Club. I was arguing with someone on the message board, like, he didn't do anything. I'm like, look at the talent he had and the results he got. A bunch of 209. Mar- he basically had the Syracuse team plus Joe Andrews, and he got a bunch of 209 marathons from multiple people.
1: A 208 for her Yeah, Yeah.
0: 1251. And then a 401, I mean, it was, it was, he did a really good job. He's a really good coach. And, you know, look, I don't want to do the cry, as me as, as a, you know, cry me a river argument of soon-to-be middle-aged old white man like myself, but I think there's a concern that it's hard to get a, a big gig when you're in your mid-60s and you're a white dude. And I, I was talking to a buddy about this, like, couldn't he get a, 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 a big job? And I was like, I I made some comment, like, it just seems like some small – program maybe doesn't want to coach at a small program that doesn't have resources. Like, some small program would certainly let – you know, I would love to have the former NCAA champion coaching, you know, my not-really-well-known program. Like, wouldn't that be great? And my buddy was like, I think you've actually got this backwards. The programs that don't really care about track – first of all, he probably wouldn't be interested in that. But let's say, you know, the the program – the, the, the programs that don't really care about track and field. They're very unlikely to actually hire him because that those are the programs that use the job just to check a box and get the diversity because it's hard to find a diverse lacrosse coach, but you can find a diverse track coach. So his best bet to get a job you know, where people compare about performance, they might not, you know, if you're building a program, you might not want to hire a guy in his mid sixties. Although, Coach K certainly coached into his late 70s, right? Mid-70s.
2: Joe Biden still president in his 80s.
1: Oh, I'm I'm not saying Chris Fox can't coach. I don't think anyone... Sorry, I'm saying... I don't think any of us are saying Chris Fox being in his 60s means he can't coach well. I think he's still a great coach. But that is something that might scare off some of the people who are hiring them in terms of like... I can maybe pay someone in their 30s less or, like you said, checking a, a box or something on diversity.
2: I threw out some bait about Joe Biden. Nobody took it. But, of course, that's why we hired Jonathan Gall, right? That's just, just what you are saying, Robert, at, again, at the beginning, right, about hiring the best. So you hired someone much smarter and better writer than you. Oh, thank you, Weldon. So kind
1: All right, pre, we have to give a shout-out. Manuel Wagnoni? Yes. Wagnoni, we've talked about this before, but we said it after his win in German. This guy could be the future of the event. If you look at his results this season, he won everything except for Worlds and Monaco, where he was sick. Him and AROP, this event's now getting good. They both were at 142. We had some other 143s behind them. That was a fun race. I'm very excited to where this event's going for next year. And the other thing, we do have a ruling on Marco Arop in his premature celebration. Well, then, I asked him about it in German when he threw his hand up, and it looked like a number one. He said it was not an intentional celebration. He's like, I looked back at the video, and I realized I looked really dumb, because I threw my hand out, and I did it way too early. He, like, mistimed his lean, so he did it about five minutes, meters before the finish line, and then he's like, yeah, I saw my finger was up as well. It looked like I was celebrating. I was not. I was just trying to get the win, but it, I timed it wrong. So I was like, all right, that makes sense. Marco Arop, you know, hum, humble Canadian, didn't seem like it was something you'd do, but we did get the, the ruling on that one. But no, the great race by Wen Yonyi, great race by Arop gets the Canadian record. And we've got some guys in the 142s for the first time since 2021. It's good. I'm, I'm this event is on the rise.
0: Except for the US, it's not on the rise. Donovan Brazier, please. Give us a medical miracle. And speaking of disappointing, how bad are the U S distance women nowadays? They used to be carrying the thing and winning all the medals. And now we're like completely uncompetitive in the 1500 steeplechase.
1: Yeah, this was a down year. I mean, Alicia Monson broke the American record in the 5,000 and 10,000 this year. It's just unfortunately for her, those events are about as low as they've ever been, but she was fifth in the world. It's a pretty darn good run for her. She had a good season awful Prefontaine classic, but maybe she was just cooked by the end of it. I don't know. The 1500, I mean, it's, yeah, you could say that, but Jenny Simpson and Shannon Rowery were two generational talents, and they are they were obviously gone. Shelby Houlihan, who I thought was the next one, suspended, and we all have our own opinions about whether she should be there or not, but you take those women away, yeah, maybe Addie Wiley's on the rise, but to be one of the best in the world right now in the Women's 1500, you need to be one of the best ever in the U.S. And We just don't have that at the moment. Maybe Eddie Wiley's on the rise? John? No, no, no. I'm saying Eddie well, Wiley is undoubtedly on the rise, but to get a medal in that event, well, you need to be able to run 353 or 354, and we don't know if she'll ever get to that level. Well, it's the
2: best hope we've ever had for it. I'll say that much right now. Like, If you're thinking who's going to be the next great American 1500 meter runner, I think you have to throw all of your money under the Addy Wiley train. Yes. Now- Agreed.
0: I guess I shouldn't have been so negative, but it was just depressing, the, the pre-classic results. Because I'm used to seeing us be right there in the thick of it. On the women's side, not the men's side. Now the men have a couple good 15-meter runners.
1: No, you, you're right, Robert. The, women, the American women weren't competitive in the 1500 or the 3,000. Sorry, or the steeple or the 5,000. And it's mostly been that way for most of this year. Like you said, Monson's had a couple highlights. She's probably been the closest of anyone. But it's tough. Those events are very, very competitive and you need to be one of the best ever in the US to have a shot in them right now.
0: And it's not like the American men were really knocking on the door of medals in the three thousand or five thousand either, but Fisher gives me hope and,
1: and the goose obviously is right there as one two diamond Leagues this year. Okay. So that's pre. That's the 2023 track season. Should we do some very quick Berlin Marathon talk? It's Sunday. Elliot Kipchoge is running. The word is that he's trying to get back his world record. We'll see. Haven't. I'm going to try to reach out to his agent this week, see what the plan is there. But he's running. Scott Fall, is What are you trying running. to get back?
0: He's got the world record. Oh,
1: sorry. That's right. He still has the world record. I'm sort of assuming that Kipton's going for it in Chicago, though. So... I feel like this is Kipchoge saying, hey, I'm going to try to get it under 201. I want to put it further out there so that Kiptum doesn't break it.
0: Kiptum has specifically said he's not going for the world record in Chicago, but John still thinks he's going to go for the world record.
1: Well, so. he wasn't going for the world record in London and he damn near broke it there. I mean, this is a guy who just closes marathons and like 60 flower faster for fun. So if he goes out and is on you know, 61:30 at halfway, he might break the world record by accident. I mean, who knows with this guy? But I guess this time he did say, what, he had an injury or a training setback? And if he doesn't break it in Chicago, maybe he breaks it next year in London or something like that. I don't know. I think Kip Choge might – he said he, you know, he's not trying to break it to put it beyond Kipdom, but I do think he's probably going to try to run very – there's a reason why he's running Berlin and not New York. But I guess we could also debate maybe that reason is he wants to make sure he's on the Olympic team. He wants to go and run a race, a course and a race he's more comfortable with. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to be very interested to see how he does, because we all say this every year he runs a marathon. Oh, could this be the beginning of the end of, ki- for, of ki- for Kipchoge? He was only sixth in Boston. But to me, the Boston result wasn't a fitness thing. It was that he didn't respect or prepare properly for that course he knows exactly how to prepare for Berlin. So I think he'll rebound. I think he'll win and run fast, but you know, he's, he's getting up
2: there in age. So who knows? Yeah. This one from a fan's perspective, just doesn't interest me that much. I don't see the upside. I don't think he's getting the world record. He better run fast because, you know, but after Boston, there's a lot of question marks about this dude now. If this one doesn't go well, I don't think he's on the Olympic team next year. But if he runs 202, it's not going to surprise me. But does that do much for me? No. Maybe it's like John and Mondo's world records. He gets tired of him. At some point, John, you have the last world record. And I don't think Mondo's going to be setting world records at 30.
1: So... Kipchoge, how old is he now? Officially, he's 38, turns 39 in November.
2: That's <laughs> just crazy.
1: But he less than a, he broke the world record in this race last year. So, you know, the idea that he could do it again, I don't think is ridiculous. That's so crazy. But we'll discuss this link at length
2: on the Friday 15. You can be a Supporters Club member at Let's slash subscribe. But, John, give people some
1: love. You talked to Scott Fobble. Give him just a, just a little preview. Yeah, it's interesting because I texted with Scott a few months ago after they came out with this qualifying system for the Olympics. And he was like feeling, it's like, yeah, the U.S. will probably get three people. And then he kind of, you know, he was trying to figure out this spring where he stood, you know, is he going to have a high enough world ranking to get in? And he was doing all, he's like, I was going through like Excel type spreadsheets and trying to do all this math. And I'm just like. Screw it. It's just easier if I go to Berlin and get the standard. So that's what he's doing. He's going to Berlin. He's trying to run the Olympic standard of 208-10. He thinks he's fit enough to do it. He said, I think I've been in 207 shape in the past, but I've run Boston, New York, which aren't courses geared towards super, super fast times. So he's excited to give it a crack. And yeah, he said training's gone pretty well. It's been pretty similar to what we've done in previous years. Maybe a couple... Fewer hills, you know, a long run, of course, has been a little bit flatter, but he's feeling optimistic. And, he, yeah, he wasn't planning on running a full marathon, but then he kind of was like, no, nah, I think I need to shore up my spot heading to the Olympics and the Olympic trials, so that's why he's in Berlin. He's not going to be alone. Jared Ward's there. Jake Riley, 2021 Olympian, is there. To show me. Mekkonen, the low 60-minute half-marathoner who got U.S. citizenship. In the last year, he's running this. So there are a bunch of Americans who have the same idea trying to go out there and hit that standard.
2: And the thing is, they shore up the spots for the U.S. Right. If we get three guys under the standard, then you only need to run sub, what is 2 it 11 the
1: 30 in the window to be subbed in for those guys. So yeah, I think between Farble and those guys in Berlin and then Conor Mance in Chicago... The US has a very good shot to get at least two spots, like quote unquote, unlocked. And then we'll see where it stands. Is can someone else run something fast? Can someone else get a high enough world ranking? But yeah, I I think Fables gonna run fast. I think he'll run a PB. He's run 208 high in Boston. So I think if conditions are good, which they look like, they'll be all right on Sunday. A 207 wouldn't shock me from him. But it's not a given, and I, I think Scott knows that, but he's a pretty consistent guy. He doesn't usually have bad races, so I think if he has a good one, he will get the standard. All right, we'll do our full Berlin Marathon preview podcast on Friday for supporters club members, so com slash subscribe if you haven't joined yet. Guys, anything else before we wrap up for the week?
2: Nope, John. I think that's it. Remember, check out the New shoe site. You can go to betterrunningshoes.com or to letsrun.com slash shoes. See how your shoe stacks up to the other shoes. Find a new shoe. Give us a review yourself. You can win a Supporters Club membership if you give us feedback on the site or submit a review.